Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, welcome back to the pod. Uh, I have good news. The world hasn't ended yet. We were waiting on that on Monday uh, with the Mayan calendar update that... uh, that the world could be ending this week. And here it is the middle of the week, and we're still here. We're still podcasting. I also have better news. Dan Wetzel still is not with us. So the beer consumption tastes are still good. Pete Thamel is here with me to class up the joint and help uh, improve the quality of dissertation and debate. Uh, it's been an interesting week, Peter. There's been stuff. I mean, again, I, we, we got into mid-pandemic and thought we're never going to be able to fill one podcast a week. Instead, we have too much for two. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. We 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 did, we, we emergency potted the Mike Gundy, Chuba Hubbard maelstrom that enveloped Oklahoma State. And there has been developments since then that uh, we, we will go over. Gundy and Chuba had a hug it out video that was posted that was filmed like immediately, it was actually filmed. There's a hostage video filmed from a cave in Kabul. That was where. It, that's where. Although they impose, they superimpose like a Zoom back room cowboy culture there. It was actually yeah. in in Kabul. Yeah. <laughs> that I or can Kabul. believe. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. In a yeah, they, a cave near Tora Bora, probably. Yes. Uh, yes. W- One American news network covered it live. Nobody else had access. <laughs> One America uh, got all. Ch- I put Mike Gundy's name in Twitter yesterday, and One America. Mm-hmm. Oh, they loved this. Like, um, oh the, boy, the 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 woman Wheeler, Liz Wheeler, I think her name is, who's like basically whose rant against Black Lives Matter was mostly quoted in the Mike Gundy thing. She was yeah. like, "They people thought they hurt us, but they helped us. We sold out of T-shirts." I was like, "Whoa." <laughs> The crazy train's getting some coal in the engine. Oh, yes, it is. Yes. Oh, yes, and then uh, And then they jumped on him today for apologizing. Because you should yeah, have to well, apologize for being American, Pat. That's the thing. That was the first video was him and Chuba hugging it out. The second video yes. was the next day, and that was just Gundy uh, sitting there reading a prepared statement into the camera <laughs> in a wooden fashion. To say that he was sorry, uh, he complete. He did apologize. He got the words out. I apologize. He said that he thought that uh, once he was aware of the content of OAN regarding Black Lives Matter, he was appalled, horrified, and uh, and he's ready to make some changes. There were multiple videos coming out of there. None of them Oscar worthy at this point. 
Pete, what did you make of videos one and two from Pistols Up, Mike Gundy? One, I just felt bad for Chuba Hubbard. I mean, you, you just saw him there just looking palpably uncomfortable, yet at the same time, showing more introspection and more self-awareness and quite frankly, more class than his coach. Like it was, it was, it was, it was striking the genuineness of Chuba Hubbard in the first video versus Mike Gundy, who could barely spit out like generic cliches to cover the, you know, obviously the events that have gone on in America in the past few weeks in the, in the wake of the uh, horrific killing of George Floyd. Like Mike Gundy just basically said, like, it's a sensitive time or something like that. Um, and Chuba Hubbard, to his credit, has, you know, tweeted after that, we're keeping the foot on the gas. And I don't think Chuba Hubbard is going to let up. And I hope he does not let up. And I hope in a day or two that as this moves on, Mike Gundy doesn't reassert himself in control and sort of put these minion players back in their place and let business and usual happen in Stillwater. I I really think Chuba Hubbard's found his voice here. He has thrust himself into the mainstream of American sports. He, obviously, if you're a college football fan, you knew who Chuba was last year. He was the best player at Oklahoma State, led the nation in rushing, rushed for over 2,000 yards, really good player. But I don't think the you know NFL Sunday ham and egg fantasy football player knew who Chuba Hubbard was, and I think that changed with this. And I really hope him finding his voice, he will continue to find his voice. As for the second video, I found it very authentic. How's that? <laughs> yeah, I just go. it was it was straight from a teleprompter, straight from emergency <laughs> PR people. There was there it, there was nothing about it from the art. Look, he apologized, and you know, well, I think a uh, few people like myself criticized the the delivery and some of the content of of the apology in Oklahoma. People were blown away that he actually apologized because yeah, of just that's who he's been. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he's he's basically uh, lived in a land of no consequences for 15 years and been able to get away with any act of buffoonery he wants. So, you know, the, the you know, the truth's always somewhere in the middle. Right. Like it what what a lot of uh, what a lot of like, you know, just straight thinking people would look at him and be like, what a what a stiff, unwilling, unauthentic apology that was. People are going like, oh, my God, Mike Gundy is actually admitted fault. He's actually, yeah. you know, he's actually shown some semblance of humility. So. It, it all uh, it all depends on how you uh, on how you look at it. But I looked at his apology video, Pat, the the, the 60 second one. I, I don't believe him that he all of a sudden found out the contents of OAN because in his completely unprompted monologue about the coronavirus, he offered us a peek into his soul. And in his soul, he thinks the contents of OAN, which is essentially by journalism organizations viewed as not a credible news source, he thinks it was refreshing. They just report the news. There's no commentary. There's no opinions. There's no right. There's no left. So like Mike Gundy told us what he really thinks when no one was, you know, when un unprompted, when really no one was paying attention. And his players know that's where their heart is. That's where his heart is. His heart is in believing what the ideology of OAN. His apology can be viewed as a step, but I don't think he's like completely changed as a person in in you know in the two months since he had that first rank. Yeah, that was in April, and that was when he yeah, he first uh, brought up that he was a, a, a an OAN watcher and listener and. Exactly. That was the thing was was he, he was extolling the virtues of this news network, uh, which is 
wildly wrong often and gone crazy tangents about conspiracies and, and other things often. This is the place that uh, uh, was going with the theory that the 75-year-old uh, Buffalo protester who was knocked down by the police was trying to scan their badges and was actually an operative. Uh, I mean, just crazy stuff like that. Who would so, believe that? Oh, wait, yeah. the president. It. Yeah, well, yeah, the president and the football coach at Oklahoma State, perhaps, as well. <laughs> so, yeah, and so that's the thing is if he's going to establish himself as this proponent of, of OAN News, then he, it's pretty hard to find him credible when he turns around and says, oh, gosh, I didn't know the network was doing that. Oh, I needed Chuba Hubbard and these other players to tell me what was going on on the network that I watch. So I'm, I, I, I find there's a, a credibility gap there, to say the least. You know, he did he did say the words he needed to say. Uh, of course, he's going to keep his job by all appearances, because, as you pointed out in a first of all, a blisteringly beautiful uh, column, but also on the podcast earlier is that, you know, I mean, the, the former golf coach is the A.D. and he's not his boss. He's just the A.D. And so the, the lack of consequence that has ever come Mike Gundy's way is likely to perpetuate and to continue. You've got the apology out there, but then, yeah, you, I'm so impressed, I, like you said, with, with Hubbard, that he's still going at this, you know? he He's not ripping Gundy the way he did on Monday, but he said the foot's still on the pedal. This is a step, or this is progress. We're talking about the the second video with of Gundy's apology, but that's it. You know, he didn't, he didn't say bygones are bygones, everything's in the past, moving forward, any of that stuff. And so, you know what, good for him for maintaining some accountability that uh, nobody else seems all that interested in down there and for being that voice. And I think he's got to have the respect of the locker room. And Gundy's got to be in a very uncomfortable place unless he is really contrite about this and can really convince his guys, hey, I screwed up. But I'm with you and it's going to be, you know, I'm going to listen and we're going to change the tone and the culture around here because I just think that there's going to be a, an undercurrent, a disconnect there that is likely to be maintained and, and possibly even fester. So what an indictment of Oklahoma State as an institution where the only real way they've been able to get Mike Gundy to change is because of a 21 year old redshirt junior. Right. Like that's <laughs> yeah. that's like the, the yeah. only adult in the room. So a few weeks ago, Pat, you and I both wrote about it. Oklahoma State gets hit really hard from the NCA with sanctions. It was surprisingly hard. And Mike Holder, the AD there, was screaming from the treetops because he it was it was the it was a red meat issue for for an AD who's never going to step out on a limb and do and do anything risky. Right. Oh, we got we got screwed by the NCA. He went on and on in a press conference, like full of full of vitriol. And he stood up and he, you know, he pandered to his base as hard as anyone can pander to their base. Right. I mean, he was vocal. He was present and he was rallying the troops, you know, behind the big bad NCAA and our guys getting, you know, our guys getting screwed. Like, he, he, yeah. I mean, what, what have we heard from Mike Holder? Uh, two sentences in a two statement. Two sentences. Two sentences that's, in a statement. That statement was was pretty unbelievable, really. I mean, it was yes. like it said nothing in as few a words and as few a sentences as possible. Yes. Uh, word salad was the, uh, yeah. but it was even like, it was like a word kale salad. It wasn't even like a yeah. good salad with like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like fried so, shrimp or something on it. Like it was, <laughs> yeah, it was just a, it was just like, it was crying from the rooftops. I am the emptiest of suits. Like that, <laughs> that was, that was it. I am the emptiest of suits.
Yeah, as you mentioned, the running back taking charge of the situation, stepping up and and being articulate. And this is Mike Holder. This afternoon has been very disturbing. The tweets from the current former and former players are of grave concern. That's it. That's all he's got. I mean, concerned in what way? Who are you concerned about? The, the, The players, the coach, what they said, what wasn't said, what's the shirt, any of it? What's going on? You know, there was it was as weak a statement and as ambiguous a statement as you could possibly put out. I mean, what, what, you know, and this is the guy who's the AD. So no wonder Mike Gundy has been, you know, riding the range in the manner that he has for 15 years now. It's, yeah. it's pretty amazing. Well, a couple of players tweeted things and then deleted them. One of them was Elsie Greenwood, who was a guy who played both ways for them, uh, a tight end. And um, he's pondering transferring. So he knows who has the power in a tra- You know what I mean? Like that. these dynamics are the things that have to change. You know, hopefully yep. in two years when they pass the transfer rule, Elsie Greenwood can go, you know, full double bird and, you know, tell the world what he really feels. But he said he was called a hood rat and, you know, basically probably had the most damning things to say about Mike Gundy and in, in, in how that program views race. And he felt compelled to delete it. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, like there's there were much deeper underlying festering issues in this program that went far beyond a T-shirt. I think that's been very clear when you look at Justice Hill speaking out. You look at, you know, I counted like a dozen different players either supporting Chuba, the whole lo- the whole offensive line supported like there were, you know, there is just more than the T-shirt. And the T-shirt's horrible. All right. Don't get me wrong. It's a complete lack of leadership, lack of self-awareness. I mean, we we went on and on and, and made made pretty clear in both of our columns uh, what what we thought of, uh, you know, Mike Gundy's leadership void wearing that T-shirt. But this is this is much deeper than that. If you think this is a, this is a one off, you're dead wrong. Yeah, no, obviously. And that's why I, I mean, the, the number of players who came out and the number of players who did not come out in support of their coach, I thought was very telling. So uh, Oklahoma State has got a lot of work, I think, ahead of it as they try to piece this thing back together. And I hope that uh, Chuba Hubbard uh, remains vigilant and outspoken about it. Yes. You know, and this is this will be I, one one of those things. Now, you know, I don't know. Big 12's doing their media days virtually. So I don't know whether it's just going to be coaches or if they're going to have players on there. But Obviously, I mean, the number one player from Oklahoma State that would be at media days would be Chuba Hubbard. Yes. If they, you know, if they're still going to have players on there, would they dare put him on there? Or do they have to say, no, we can't, we can't, we can't do that? Or how do they handle that? Well, I bet Mike Gundy wouldn't want him on there, but he better be on there, right? He's the, he's one of the five best players. He finished behind Trevor Lawrence in the Heisman last year. He finished eighth in the Heisman voting. Like he, you know, if you think of great players in Oklahoma State the last five years, there's Mason Rudolph, Justice Hill, and uh, and, and obviously Chuba. And Tyler yep. Wallace is, is probably on that list somewhere too. And he's been riding shotgun with Chuba on this too. He's been yep. he's been vocal. He's been he's been outspoken. So there there are clearly cracks in the foundation there that all of a sudden got light shined on him, and it didn't look pretty. No, no, it won't. And that's <laughs> look, I I. Virtual media days, I figure, are going to be a bust, but this this is going to be one with Oklahoma State and Big 12 Media Day, which is sometime in July. I don't have the dates. Uh, that's going to be must zoom. You're gonna, we're going to have to see what see what gets said in uh, in those things. A uh, couple other things. Did you things just invent here, a term? Must zoom. I think must, must zoom, zoom laptop. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. MZT must, must zoom TV. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. Uh, other news this week as as things keep happening, and this goes to you know Mike Gundy said everything was going to be fine, and he wanted players back in May. Virus be damned, you know, to start bringing money back into the state of Oklahoma. 
and they, everybody put the brakes on him a little bit there. But then, Pete, we had a recalibration, and mid-May, late May, all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're going ahead with college football. Players are going to come back, and they have started coming back this month. Uh, and everybody's talking, we're selling tickets, we're going to have games, we're going to have games on time. But then we actually had a game canceled on Wednesday. Um, the first known game for 2020 that's been canceled, the uh, Southern Heritage Classic, which has been played for 30 years in Memphis between two HBCUs, Jackson State and Tennessee State. Memphis, perfect location. One's in Jackson, Mississippi. One's in Nashville, Tennessee. It's midway in between. Great city, great party city. Big uh, alumni bases for both those schools there. And they have had, you know, that's been a big deal for a while. It's a great, great you know, bands. Put, Can't forget about oh, the bands. The, the sonic boom of the South, baby, from Jackson State. Good stuff. There we go. Uh, I've I've been to a game at Jackson State, by golly. Covered a oh, game wow. there. Listen to the sonic boom of the South. The boom is legit. Let me tell you. Um, and I think the Tennessee State Band is called the aristocrat aristocrat of bands. So, uh, yeah. Wetzel leaves and we turn into Rolling Stone uh, podcast <laughs> where you have Gary Patterson's musical <laughs> yeah. career. And now we're, now we're going through HBCU bands. So That's it. That's, that's what we it. thought we would be talking about this offseason with no sports happening. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so they've been putting 40,000 or so in the stands and the, but then like 75,000 people come and they do the tailgates and they get big music acts to play along with this and that is being canceled which is a real bummer for the fans of those teams and people in Memphis. But here's the question, they are citing COVID-19 concerns. Pete, is this a sign of things to come or is this an outlier different situation? What you got any read on it? If I if there were if there were betting available on games canceled and no games canceled, I would bet heavily on games canceled. Now, yeah. how many is it dozens or is it more? I don't know. But like, look, look, like all the tenets of football, which include gathering, include people coming together from different different geographic areas. It also includes idiotic administrations who aren't testing enough. So you combine all these things and guys are going to get the virus and guys aren't going to stop getting the virus during camp when they're around each other more. They're not going to stop getting the virus when other students come back to campus and potentially exposed to them. So look, this entire season is going to be a high wire act. Every minute of this season is going to be a high wire act. And like, this is just the first, you know, the, the, the first thing to fall off the wire, but there will be more. There are going to be league game canceled. There are going to be games canceled. Like, uh, you know, let's just hope nobody dies, Pat. That That's really yeah. like, that's really my hope. Like, you have to embrace that. And I talked to a bunch of coaches about this this week. You've got to embrace that this is going to be a season unlike any other. And you've got to embrace preaching to your team and your team leading each other on not going to bars, not going to parties, not going out where you're going to expose not only your teammates, but also your your coaches to, uh, you know, to this virus. So, no, uh, this is this is going to be completely wild and, quite frankly, a little scary at times. Boy, the, the ebb and flow of of the the optimism, I guess, in this. And this, it, it is completely indicative of the fact that we don't know enough about what's going on to make declarations, you know, and things are changing. You know, in in April, it's like there is no way we're playing football. In mid-May, it's like, yeah, I think we might play. It May 31st, June 1st, we're going to play. By golly, we're bringing the players back. It's going to happen. And now case numbers are going way up in a lot of areas. Hospitalizations are going up in some areas. And we have a game canceled. And I think this is now reality check of come back to, oh, 
Yeah, this is A, still going on. Forget the second wave. We may still be in the first wave because things haven't been completely flattened out. The curve has declined, but it hasn't been flattened, I wouldn't say, or at least, you know, eliminated. So the, you know, the virus is still out there. The situations are still out there. And colleges, as you said, High Wire Act administrators have got to be nervous as all get out, just wondering how far as we keep going can we go until this whole thing falls apart? A couple of weeks ago, the first time I was really like, oh, there was going to be students back on campus. It was uh, I was home one night watching the news and I saw the Arizona president, Bobby Robbins, pop up on CNN. And again, there were probably other schools that had announced they were going to come back before. But he was kind of the first guy to be out there publicly saying, we're going to bring back. We're going to test. We're going to be a leader. We're going to be doing all that. Now, at the time, Arizona had very few covid cases. It was uh, it was among that. And there was also like the notion that warm weather maybe maybe helped suppress the virus. So I remember watching that being like, wow, that guy's bold. That guy's out there on a limb, you know, good for good for him. Uh, you know, uh, Dr. Robbins is known more for than how to bungle handling your coach in an NSA investigation. Like he's actually <laughs> like, you know, he's but but I did, he is like, a leading expert in that area. Yes, exactly. But I was and he is he is a doctor by by trade. So I was like, wow, that's a really bold move for a university to come out and kind of say, like, we're bringing everyone back and here's our testing plan and here's our tracing plan. And this is how it's going to be. And he, you know, all these presidents, all a little shine. So he's getting some shine on the national cable news networks. And uh, right now, if you look at the numbers in Arizona, they are mm. mind boggling the spikes yeah. in the hospital beds and everything like that. So it's like all the all the the chesty talk of a couple of months ago is now going to meet like a like a a pretty hard reality in 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 this a lot of the South, which didn't have a lot of numbers. I believe the three states that have that have spiked yesterday. I saw in the Washington Post this morning were. Texas, Florida, and Arizona. Yeah. And I, again, it's that Sunbelt, if you will, has, uh, you know, is, is really in the middle of it right now. A lot of ways where I feel like yeah. the Northeast and some of these cities were in the middle of it in, uh, in, in March and, uh, in March and April. And so what a disaster that could be for a university president. If you sort of like stand around and parade, we're going to be the, we're going to be the center bringing, bringing students back. We need students back. We're going to test and everything. And now all of a sudden, you know, the, the virus is just rampant in your state. Yeah. And that's, yeah, you mentioned those. And that's the funny thing too. It's like, oh yeah, you know, warm weather is going to take care of this. Well, it's June and you're talking about Florida, Texas, and Arizona, where it's going to be 90 to hundred every day and it's not happening. It's going the other way. And, and it, it underscores the fact that this has been a different disease in different areas of the country at different times, you know, when when it was terrible in the Northeast and it was terrible in Michigan and places in the South like, ah, it's not that bad. We got it. We're no, no problem here. Memorial Day. Let's go out and let's get going. And now, you know, a lot of the places in the in the Northeast and in the upper Midwest have are doing much better. And it's gone the opposite in the South. And I don't know when it, we will get to a point where we have any sort of national handle on this. It's it's certainly no time in the near future. So as presidents and athletic directors get closer to everything but going full speed, uh, there's so much more that, to consider. And I think we go back to what we've really been saying all along is that we can't make any declarations yet. You got to check in a couple of weeks, check in a month, mid-July, Maybe we by by mid-July, we better have a good idea. Uh, it's now mid-June. That seemed a long time ago in mid-May, but now it's mid-June. And then, you know, we'll see what happens at the next mile marker. But I think there's got to be a lot of uh, a lot of nervous people. Uh, coaches are freaked coach out, sports. Pat. I talked to some yeah. coaches the last couple of days. They're freaked out. They And they're all like, 
what are you hearing there? You're in there. I heard there's an outbreak there. I heard this guy got it and this guy went and did this with his, you know, half his team this week. Like there is, you know, there's a, there are a lot of nervous, nervous coaches. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And they, you know, they should be because again, there's few things as problematic or as difficult to try to get your arms around than a football team in this environment. And again, Hey, we hope, we hope there's no serious illnesses. We hope there's very few hospitalizations. We certainly hope there's no deaths, and we hope there is football. But, man, there's a lot of complications before we get to football. So, okay, uh, another news item this week, Peter. The Hey Reb statue at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, was taken down Tuesday night. UNLV's nickname is The Rebels. The statue is basically kind of your caricature of a an old South kind of ornery dude, I guess you would say. It looks like the big Kentucky mustache, Fried big Chicken logo, like that yeah. kind of guy. <laughs> or like Yosemite Sam kind yeah, of that's almost, actually a, you know? Yeah. 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 So he's gone. The question will be whether the rebel nickname is gone. And then the question is when we get to the school, more prominent school with the rebel nickname, University of Mississippi, also known as Ole Miss, which a name that has its own baggage. What does Ole Miss do? A, a school that has no shortage of history with racial problems. So let's start first with UNLV. What do you think of the move there to take down the statue? Would you change the nickname if you were the president and or AD? I mean, yes, right? Like I, I, I assume there was some, uh, there was some backlash to this from from minority communities. And uh, look, ties to any sort of perceived tie to the Confederacy. I, I think we're going to see extinguished from American culture. Um, and, and certainly they can be in museums behind glass in different places. And that's how that whole heritage versus history thing is another, you know, is, is an argument that you're not going to hear here. But we are entering an era where we, after being undersensitive for generations, we are now going to be rightfully oversensitive. And uh, certainly this is going to happen at the university level. And, uh, you know, there's even now uh, there was an AP story out of Jackson, Mississippi this week that out of the out of the state level, we may see uh, we may see the state of Mississippi remove the Confederate emblem from part of their flag. And so anyway, I hijacked UNLV and went to the other rebels there, Pat. But I just think that's that's the climate we're in. And I am all for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's we'll get to Ole Miss here as we go along. But the state of Nevada had nothing to do with the Civil War. Las Vegas wasn't even a city when the Civil War was fought. So you can't sit there and say, well, this is some sort of ode to our heritage or anything like that. And if it was, you, you absolutely have to get rid of it. So you could, you could make an argument that like, look, you are inventing a controversy here. But if I'm a university president and or the athletic director, I'm like, invented or real? We don't want a part of the controversy. We don't want to be on the wrong side of this issue. Uh, especially if you're the AD or if you're a coach and you are interacting and trying to recruit a, a large population of, of black people to come to school there and, and wear your uniforms. You, you don't want the mascot guy to be that to be that guy or a statue to be that guy or the name on the on the jersey to say rebels. So I, I you know, you can you can go ahead and debate the, you know, the the merits, I guess, back and forth. But if I were uh involved with that school in a decision-making capacity, I would say, let's get it changed and let's get it changed by like the end of June. Okay. Now let's go, go into Ole Miss, which is boy, that that's, that's a bigger can of worms for, for many Ooh. reasons there, Ooh. because 
uh, you know, state of Mississippi had probably more awful, tragic things happen uh, than any other place in the nation throughout the civil rights movement. Uh, going back before that, Jim Crow, going back before that to slavery, going back, you know, Civil War, et cetera. Uh, the population, I believe it's 37 percent African-American population in the state, which might be the highest uh, in the country. I'm not sure. But the school, the University of Mississippi, has been an absolute flashpoint for uh, racism and racial strife for a long time. And it goes back to when James Meredith integrated this, the uh, the college uh, and thereafter. And they have made progress. They have made strides. They got rid of the school song, which was Dixie, which is the Confederate uh, song. They got rid of Colonel Reb, who was the mascot. They got rid, who was a, basically a plantation owner, a caricature of a plantation owner. They, they told, they finally made the students stop bringing Confederate flags to the games. But not all messes are cleaned up there. The nickname is still Rebels. And for there, there is no, mis no mistaking that it is tied to the Confederacy, which the Confederate Army was called the Rebels. The name Ole Miss, there's, I, I was looking this up some today. There is kind of a little bit of, there, there, there's some ambiguity, but there's a belief that that was basically based on slaveholder slaves who referred to the wife of the plantation owner as Ole Miss. Uh, oh. And if... Yeah. So if that's if that's the derivation and then again, there's there's some back and forth on that. But if that's the derivation, that's a problem. So Ole Miss once again is back in it. And this isn't a new story or new new issue. I saw a Mike Bianchi column from five years ago talking about those two things, Ole Miss and, and the, the word rebel. And then, as you mentioned, obviously, the, the part of the flag that still has the stars and bars in it. So hotter issue, touchier issue there, Pete. What uh, what do you think of it? Well, I would think if Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin, our two pod favorites, got together with their players and said, we want change and we need change, change would happen. Right now, uh, according to a really good AP story out of, uh, out of, out of Jackson this week by uh, Emily Wagster-Petis, uh, it's on June 13th, I read it on yahoo.com, it, it was on the front page the other day. Mississippi has used the Confederate emblem and its flag since 1894, when white supremacists in the state government adopted it after Reconstruction. Georgia put a large Confederate battle symbol on its state flag in 1956 during a backlash to the Civil Rights Movement. The state purge that symbol from its banner in 2001 or 20 years ago, the same year Mississippi voters chose to keep it on the flag. So uh, the the Mississippi governor, Governor Tate Reeves, who seems like a like a classic feckless politician for these times, uh, has declared twice in the last couple of weeks, if the flag is going to be changed, it should be done by a statewide election. Well, I'll tell you what, Governor Reeves, uh, Lane and Mike, and let's we all know where Mike leans politically because he didn't hide it when he was up at Washington State. If Lane and Mike got together and said, this is bad for our image, it's bad for our state, and sadly, more importantly for them, it's bad for recruiting, we need to change this emblem, it would be changed within months. But I don't think that they have the gumption to go do that. Yeah, they might not. They absolutely might not. They, I mean, look, the, it, would, it would actually be... And I, I, I would hope it wouldn't just be a PR move, but but for Lane, I'm sorry, for, for Mike Leach, it, it would be a good PR move because of the the noose incident that, uh, oh. you know, really got his tenure off to a terrible start and sent a few players into the transfer portal from Mississippi State. 
So if you want to try to recoup from that, this would be an opportune time to do so. Uh, yeah, Lane Kiffin, who I've never known to have any sort of social voice whatsoever. This might be time to find one if you if you have one. Uh, but boy, this, I mean, it is a very, very hot issue in the state of Mississippi. Always has been. And you do get a lot of backlash to, you know, some of these uh, calls to change things. But the University of Mississippi is generally, after after a terrible, terrible performance by some people around the school regarding integration, has generally been one of the more uh, progressive outlets uh, of that state. And you would hope that that if the school wants change of its at least of its nickname and its and its name that it goes by, Ole Miss, that those things could could move forward. The flag, that could be a whole other issue. But these are new coaches thrust into a heck of a situation down there. You know, Kiffin, Leach came in even later, uh, you know, and they're just trying to get their feet on the ground, I would think, and get their programs up and running. But there is a whole lot more going on around them that they've got to try to deal with. Yeah. And we'll give, uh, give some credit to Mississippi State here. If you remember, it was about 50 years ago, they were on the forefront of some basketball integration when they played, uh, they played Loyola in, uh, where was that game? Uh, 63, I think. So almost 60 years ago. Yeah. In East Lansing, Michigan, um, just five months earlier, U.S. Marshals and federal troops were on hand to quell rioting. James Meredith enrolled at University of Mississippi, integrating the school only nine miles west. So at least Mississippi State, from the sporting perspective, has been on the front lines of some of this stuff. And uh, yeah. again, I think this is really a, a time of reckoning in the in the state of Mississippi. And we'll see if there uh, if there is any if there is any tangible change there. And we have seen a lot of tangible change, Pat. Aunt Jemima. Was, uh, yeah. was pulled by Quaker Oats uh, on mm-hmm. Wednesday morning. Um, you know, there, there, there is. Uh, you know, we have seen fast and furious change, unlike anything I've seen in my lifetime in these uh, in these past few weeks. And and let's just hope it's just getting started. Yeah, uh, breathtaking, really. And that's the thing is that a lot of things that were just kind of tolerated, I think, are not being tolerated. They have the Confederate monuments around the South and really around the country. Uh, the Aunt Jemima iconography, cream of wheat has a problem there. Uh, there's a couple other. Uh, companies that that too they have, have these very old stereotypical black sort of uh, uh, um, iconography to them that that I think they're going to have to deal with. But you know what? Hey, we can take this a step further and also say Utah's nickname is the Utes. Florida State's nickname is the Seminoles. Washington Redskins. There's some problems if you want to go beyond just black issues, but to Native American issues too. That. Uh, uh, we'll see what kind of light gets shined on those because that's been the kind of the same thing. It's like, ah, oh, people talk about it every once in a while and then it goes away and nothing changes. And we might be reaching a point where things don't go away as easily when people raise objections. Okay, Pete, since Wetzel is gone drinking bush light in the UP at some lake and hopefully surviving without being uh, eradicated by the Mayan calendar catastrophe <laughs> plans plans he'd go, are that he'd go happy if he had a uh, bush light oh, in his hand and yeah, was sitting a, sitting on a lake and not working yeah yeah right well should he survive and we survive he'll be back next week but one of the things we wanted to do with the podcast since wetzel has no, has no tolerance for details uh and nitty-gritty <laughs> football talk uh is to talk a little bit of football and we, we did a conference overview on monday of the acc and uh, this week, we're gonna, this episode, we're going to do the Pac-12. So times have been tough in the Pac-12, uh, as we established two college football playoff bids. They've missed four times. 
the last couple of years, they really haven't even been close for the most part. The well, Oregon actually was pretty close in in nineteen slash Utah. They, I shouldn't say that. Seventeen and eighteen, they were not close. That's those were the years where that was a pretty barren league. Um, but still, it you know numbers down in terms of draft picks, recruiting rankings are middle of the pack. Uh, the glamour schools in LA are not getting it done. Chris Peterson has stepped down at Washington. Uh, so there's, I think, uh, a lot of reason to wonder if the Pac-12 can come back and when. Pete, what's your uh, broad brush, 30,000 feet look? The one thing going for the Pac-12 right now, Pat, is that there's no middle class, right? Like, like Oregon and SC, and I texted a dozen Pac-12 coaches and assistants this morning to just get a feel for where the league is right now. Oregon and SC are, talent-wise, clearly the class of the league. The assumption is Utah, with losing everything they did on defense, is going to recede. Arizona State has a really dynamic quarterback, but not much else. UCLA still doesn't feel like, you know, like if they jump to a bowl team, it would be a big leap. And Colorado and Arizona are viewed as, you know, moderately hopeless right now. In a sense, it, if you are going to have one of these two programs return to dominance, and let me be clear, USC lost five games last year. They're not close to dominance. They're winning the recruiting rankings now. That's not going to help. But USC fans better get used to Clay Helton because that buyout during this pandemic is probably going to keep him on the sideline for two more years. That's my read right now. Now, look, they have private money. That can change. But Right now, like they fired everybody else but Clay Helton. They fired the offensive coordinator. They fired the defensive coordinator. They fired the special teams coach. They basically like revamped the staff. They brought in Todd Orlando. They brought in Craig Niver. They've made enough changes where there is only one change to be made left. The good thing if you're a USC fan right now is that infrastructure-wise, because of the two incompetent lettermen that they hired and basically flushed them down a, a, a hole of irrelevancy for a decade. And the USC football had no infrastructure. You talk about these recruiting departments, which have more than a dozen employees. You talk about graphics, you talk about all that stuff. USC had none of it. So Mike Bone has come in there and basically done an audit and, you know, like when this when when Mike Bone and uh, Brandon Sosna came in, the number two, one and two from Cincinnati, Cincinnati had better infrastructure in the AAC than USC had there. Long way to say the state of the conference of the Pac-12 is always going to be tied to USC and is most times going to be tied to Oregon. And they are both this year, according to the coaches I talked to, the two teams with the best chance. Now. That's not saying they are competitive nationally. Um, I'm skeptical of Oregon in a lot of ways just because I don't know what they have at quarterback. Justin Herbert, who you know was maybe a little bit of a flawed NFL prospect and got picked apart in that world, was a really good college quarterback and really talented. And there's a theory that they didn't maximize his talents there because of lack of skill. I, I believe in Oregon on, on defense. So the Pac-12's national relevancy is always going to be tied to USC and Oregon. They are best positioned this year in the Pac-12, but I don't think either of them is going to be in a top five type tier. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I just, I don't see, I mean, obviously things happen you don't expect. Nobody thought LSU was winning the national title and Joe Burrow was winning the Heisman last year at this point, but I'm looking at the at the uh, Pac-12 and trying to find a championship contender and, and not seeing one. I agree. I, th I think Oregon just, just, they missed their opportunity last year. You know, with Herbert uh, as a senior and everything going their way. And when they let the game get away against Auburn early and then they just laid an egg in the desert against ASU, 
You know, they could have gotten away with one of those two losses and made the playoff. You couldn't have had both of them. And so they missed their opportunity. But they have recruited. You know, they 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 have been the recruiting power in the league. Uh, Sully had the stats that uh, over the past five seasons, Oregon has been the top recruiting team in the league, but they still would have been ranked eighth in the SEC over the same span. So if you're a buyer into recruiting rankings, which I am to a degree at least, that's uh, that's a sobering sign there. But without them, yeah, look, USC, Clay Helton, it's Fisher cut bait time. Mario Cristobal has established himself. Uh, I, I think he can get the job done. Certainly on recruiting, we'll see, you know, still some in-game coaching. You, you wonder at times what he's doing. But USC, Clay Helton, major question marks. Kevin Sumlin, major question marks. Kyle Whittingham has done a great job at Utah. He's fine. Jonathan Smith on the way up at Oregon State. Chip Kelly has not gotten it done yet. Huge turnover at Washington and Washington State. Both two guys, I mean, they were great coaches. Chris Peterson and Mike Leach. And now, where do you go from there with those two? Stanford has fallen way off, way, way off after a really good run. Can Stanford get it back? They've recruited pretty well, but they've got to turn that into uh, positive gains on the field. They need they got a quarterback situation. We'll see if they found one this year. California's been all defense, no offense under Justin Wilcox. Uh, there's just you look at them and you're like, eh, I just don't I don't know that there's much to grab onto at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, I asked I asked a bunch of coaches for uh, sleepers, you know, who they who they thought could kind of emerge from, uh, you know, aside from those top two. And a bunch of coaches mentioned Cal, um, you know, obviously, Justin Wilcox's defensive defensive resume speaks for itself. All the places he's been over the years, be it SC, be it Boise, be it Wisconsin. And Cal plays as salty a defense as anyone in the country. Now, they lost some big time guys on that defense. So to expect yeah. the same level would 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 be a little bit naive. I will say this. If Chase Garbers is healthy at quarterback, Cal's a different team. The the problem is he was knocked out of five games last year. So yeah. he's been knocked out of five games. Like we thought, thought Tua was injury prone. Like that's injury prone. So we'll see if he can be consistently healthy. We could maybe see Cal uh, Cal take the leap. And 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 I agree with you, uh, Pat. Slow and steady. Old Oregon State has just got a little better every year under Jonathan Smith. They actually open up at Oklahoma State, which will be which will be a game that will probably get a lot more attention than maybe it, than it would have <laughs> normally um, yeah. it, when they when they go against the mullet and the mullet slaughtered them up in Corvallis last year on that uh, opening weekend. Yeah, but I yeah, they have Nebraska transfer uh, Christian Gebbia as their uh, Gebbia, excuse me, as their uh, as as their quarterback uh, replacing Jake Luton, the uh, mm -hmm. stretch four, who is their quarterback the last two years. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I'm I'm excited to see what Rolovich can do at Washington State. Uh, he is certainly one of the best quarterback guys, quarterback evaluators, and offensive minds, you know, that we've seen come up in college football the past few years. But, you know, he's inheriting a roster that is just decrepit on defense. Uh, made a good eye on defensive coordinator Jake Dickert, who was at Wyoming and really got strong results there. I, I really think that that Washington State program is a recruiting cycle or two away from making the kind of noise they did under Leach. And they're trending towards the type of season that, you know, we're used to them having, you know, the six and six, seven and five type. And, uh, you know, there's a couple promising quarterbacks in that room, but nobody that pops. So it'll be interesting to see if Rolovich can uh, can find someone uh, to to emerge there and, and, and keep that 
program's identity going. One of the great things about his hire was they had a distinct identity under Leach, and he brings similar offensive principles, similar wide-open system, less of the manufactured emergencies from the head coach popping off. Right. Yeah, and he actually uh, had people in uh, Hawaii brewing his own beer for him. So that was that was, I, he gets credit for that. Was it? Uh, I can't remember the name of the brewery, but they had a Rolo brand uh, beer. I was I was very impressed by Nick Rolovich in the South. Like I, I mean, it's got to be USC, I think. But uh, boy, I mean, ton of pressure on the coach who has never shown that he can do that much as an actual in-game coach. Keaton Slovis, really good quarterback, I think, really promising. Lost some superstar receivers, but uh, there there is some talent there still at USC. Do you think uh, is there anybody you like more than USC in the South, and are they good enough to keep Clay Helton's job? Well, there, by default, I really don't like anyone better than SC. I, I am big in on Jaden Daniels. Um, yeah, he's really yeah, good. I am I am big in on him. Obviously, they have uh, Zach Hill running the offense there at Arizona State now. They fired Rob Likens after uh, after last year. I think losing Danny Gonzalez, the defensive coordinator to New Mexico, he was he was essentially, I mean, Herm's kind of the CEO of whatever that weird structure that Ray Anderson brought there. Danny Gonzalez was kind of the guy who ran the program. So I do think there is going to be uh, there's going to be there's going to be a significant loss with Danny uh, with Danny going to New Mexico. Look, I just I don't think Arizona State has the skill. They have a ton of true freshmen that they're going to have to rely on in in skill jobs and at the running back position. And I think on on defense they're just okay. You know, like they're just they're 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 just okay. You know, there's been some positive vibes uh, out of UCLA with a lot of guys back. Like their defense can't get any worse. You know, I, I think. Dorian Thompson Robinson is a dynamic player and he's certainly proven capable at times that comeback against Washington State, you know, jumps out in my mind. Uh, Chip Kelly's lauded his toughness. One thing uh, opposing DC told me was he said they don't really have enough skill to scare you and they let you stay in man and uh, and really try to really try to bully those guys because they don't have he doesn't feel like they have the skill to run past you. And uh, they don't have the dynamic tight ends. They don't have the receivers. They're they're just pedestrian at tailback. And what a, what a what a what a difference a decade makes, right? Where Chip Kelly doesn't have enough skill. I mean, yeah. you know, when you when you looked at the just the luxury and the outpouring of skill players he had when he was at Oregon. Yeah, no, it's it's true. And uh, yeah, now they're yeah, you're wondering where the punch is coming from. The top rushers in the league are gone. The top receivers in the league are gone. I guess that happens in most places because either you're a senior or if you're a junior, you're you're going to be leaving if you're producing that kind of talent. But there's a lot of proving that needs to be done at skill positions really across the entire league. Uh, There's Keaton Slovis uh, and and you mentioned Dorian Thompson Robinson and Jaden Daniels. But after that, the quarterbacking is very slim, very, very inexperienced. You got, you know, uh, Washington State lost a senior. Justin Herbert was a senior. Jake Luton was a senior. Uh, uh, Steven Montez was a senior. Tyler Huntley, Khalil Tate. So it's it's start over at that position except for a couple of locations. And then the the running backs and the receivers, same deal. So it may be may have to be a line of scrimmage this league, which live league this year, which quite frankly, yeah, it's not very exciting, but if you look last year, the top two defenses in the league were Oregon and Utah, and they were the best teams in the league by far. So I don't know if Pac-12, Pac-12 after dark is going to be able to deliver much for us, but heck, we'll tune in anyway. we got nothing better to do. I really think, Pat, you mentioned, you mentioned loss of skill. 
like that the program I'm most worried about and, and really could take a dip if you can dip any further is Colorado because LaVisca Chenault was their playmaker for two seasons. And Steven Montez, he had his issues with accuracy and he was erratic, but he was a, you know, senior starter, multi-year, cannon of an arm. So that program right now, the two programs in the country that I think have the biggest question marks at quarterback are Colorado and Michigan State. Like, I really think I, – I am stunned Colorado isn't going to quarterback. Um, and maybe they got someone up their sleeve. Maybe somebody has to graduate. I have no idea. But Carl Durrell finding answers without spring and being around his players, if there's one thing Carl Durrell was bad at at UCLA, and he was a fairly good coach by record. He wasn't great. Obviously, he got fired. But he was solid. He made it to Bulls. But connection was never his gift. So – how he has thrived in this Zoom era is going to be really interesting because he barely knows these guys. He got hired super late. And uh, I, I just wonder how cohesive of a program that's going to be with all the new pieces and faces at at important places. Yeah, no doubt about it. Top two receivers gone, quarter, four-year starting quarterback gone. And as you said, new quarter, new coach without a chance to do much with his players. So uh, it's going to be a, a tough season for Colorado. I think could be a well be a tough season in general for the Pac-12. All right, Pete, uh, before we sign off, we do have a matter of, of great uh, urgency out there that we need to address. Um, no no real animal attacks or anything that I know of in this past week. We did we did have a buffalo stampede across a road in uh, Yellowstone National Park. That was pretty wild. I don't did you see the video of that? Oh yeah. No, that was uh, yeah. that was that was great. I uh, I was like, what do you do? Do you stay, stay in your car and let them go by? Like you don't run. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you know. No. You, you, you stop in your car and you hope they don't decide to just gore your car. That's that yeah, was bad wild. physics matchups there. You know, yeah. that's uh, that's like your uh, that's like your uh, your H back going up against uh, Chase Young. You're not going to win. <laughs> yeah. CU Buffaloes, maybe not that good. The Yellowstone no. Buffaloes, very strong. Quite a performance yes. by them. So, all right. No, but here's the news out there. Uh, do you remember eBay, Pete? You've, do you remember that that entity? I do. I remember eBay's peak. They actually had some storefronts. Do you remember that? And did there they was, really? Oh, yeah, yeah no, a, you're right. They did. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There, there was basically like a company that if it had been administrated better could have become Amazon. Yeah. But instead yeah. Amazon became Amazon and they became like a like, remember the 90s relic. Yeah. Yeah. E eBay is somewhere dimly back in all of our uh, recent past. But uh, they, they did manage to get themselves back in the news. So congratulations to that, eBay. Uh, but it's not really the news story you're looking for. Six Former eBay employees allegedly started a cyber stalking campaign and sent boxes of live cockroaches and a Halloween mask of a bloody pig's face to a couple who ran an online e-commerce newsletter, according to charges filed by the Department of Justice on Monday. The alleged harassment also included sending the couple anonymous threatening messages and covert surveillance of the victims. Uh, and this is the thing. Now, the people that they busted for this are not like, you know, some low level flunkies who just decided to do this as some kind yeah. of lark or whatever. It's yeah. like uh, former like the interns went to happy hour. This is not like yeah. an interns at happy hour idea. No. Former senior director of safety and security, former director of global resiliency, uh, former senior manager, global intelligence. 
former manager of global. <laughs> I mean, it's like on and on. It's uh, this is pretty unbelievable. So, Do you think Alabama has a director of uh, global resiliency, like as one of their quality control guys? <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee it. Look, if you've got a staff of 100 million, then yes, you have your own. You have a global resiliency guy. They're going after our 18 national championships <laughs> again. That's right. You have it. Hey, yeah. get in here. Saban needs an update on Albania. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, you also, yes, you have a, somebody in charge of trying to defend the 1925 Helms Foundation title. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Pete, what do you do with these people? Because uh, should we do people's court here? I, I'm not sure. I think we. Ought, I think this is too easy for people's court. I think it's pretty it easy. too easy for, for people's court. I, I have to say this story hits close to home because it. Uh, the uh, the couple was in uh, Natick, Massachusetts, uh, mm. which uh, careful college football observers would know is the home of Heisman Trophy winner Doug Flutie. Uh, Natick High graduate and uh, the Flutie brothers all uh, all came out of there. It's quite a Tony Boston suburb. So yeah, I I, uh, I think it's where my aunt and uncle lived. Quite frankly, in oh Natick. really? I think so. I'll look into it. How about that? Anyway. Did they find any bloody pigs mask Halloween costumes? Uh, Not to my knowledge. But that was yeah. you know that was the the more innocent days when like if the post office didn't deliver it then nobody got anything so yeah. this is like the 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 sort of if we have to equate this to college football this would be like the six million dollar year head coach going after the message board poster like that's the yeah. equivalency of this like <laughs> right. like rallying the troops to make the message board poster stop posting about their like not to throwing to the tight end on third down yeah <laughs> It's this is wild. It's like it is alleged that the same group of former eBay employees intended to have Gilbert, a former Santa Clara police captain, approach the victims with an offer to help stop the harassment that the defendants were causing. So basically they get harassed and then they have this other guy come in and get paid to take care of the harassment, I guess. And they split the money. I mean, wow, that's the way to can go to jail and screw yourself out of a decent job. Not only that, Harville and Ball allegedly intended to break into the victim's home and install a GPS tracking device on their car. That's something out of 007. What in the... <laughs> yeah. 007 with, with stalking uh, uh, charges attached. That is crazy. Uh, good reason to keep avoiding eBay, everyone out there. Uh, there's better. What do you think the FBI of- agents at the bar one Friday were saying in Boston? Like they go, yeah, they go down to Mastro's and they're like, "Never believe what we got here." <laughs> like, yeah, imagine that. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, what a case! The West Coast attacking the East Coast from San Jose to to Natick. Anyway, yeah, avoid eBay. That's my suggestion out there. Uh, do not. <laughs> We've avoid been doing the a great job for two decades. Yes. Yeah. Keep- <laughs> Keep doing it. Don't avoid the podcast. Listen to the podcast. Give us a review. Holler at us on Twitter. We'll be back next week. Wetzel allegedly will be back next week with, again, the caveat that the world does not come to an end. Let's hope it doesn't, and let's hope we talk to you all then. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Lizikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We're the hosts of Skullduggery, a podcast that not only breaks down the news, but also breaks news. We deliver authoritative analysis while drawing intriguing historical parallels from our decades of covering D.C. scandals. With our current focus on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus, to the 2020 elections, we interview those helping to shape the stories. So subscribe to and download Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcasts and be sure to follow us on social media at skullduggerypod